Hi, everybody. This is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, we have another special guest from the United Kingdom. Her name is Dale Adams, and she began formulating an idea to enable people to leave information, memories, and messages after the suicide of a great friend. She felt that regardless of how people died, there was information that could be so helpful to those left behind. It became obvious very quickly that people didn't want to think about dying, although everyone wants to make it easier for their loved ones when they do. When her mom was diagnosed with dementia soon after, Dale realized how unprepared people were, including herself, to face dying and death. She therefore trained in end-of-life facilitation and set up planning ahead of time. This work brings peace of mind to the client and is a gift of pre- and post-death support to their loved ones. With no further delays, Dale, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, And we always ask our uh, guests the same three questions to start the interview, which is simply, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Okay, well, I'm 50. I grew up in Warwickshire, which is in the middle of the UK. And I am Gen X, but where I grew up in a village, all generations intermingled. So you could have three generations of the same family in the local pub. So I don't really consider myself part of any. I'm happy to socialize with anyone. That's a great answer. We get so many creative and different answers, but I've never heard that one, and I love it. Um, That's why I keep asking it, because I was asked by one listener to stop asking, and then I was told by numerous uh, listeners they like it, so it was kind of funny. Um, But yeah, I think that's ideal, that you wouldn't belong to a generation, and we'd all just be part of the same community. Let's start the interview kind of at a weird point, but for me, it'll help our audience understand how we connected, which is uh, there's a Facebook group and uh, what's the name of it and why did you start it? And can other people join it? <laughs> okay. It's called end of lifers. Um, and I started it because I'm in, I class it as the end of life industry. And I know people don't really like it called that a lot of the time because they don't like the word industry, but the definition of industry is obviously people that are offering services and charging for those. And so I felt that there's a lot of people who offer end-of-life services. And when you go onto Facebook or other social media platforms, they're all pigeonholed. So all the funeral directors are together, the celebrants are together. And I felt that actually there's exhibitions, and I went to one, where it's a mix of people offering various services for end of life, from you know, memorial printing to cleaning of ornaments and and coffins and graves. And you think, sorry, not coffins, but cleaning of graves. <laughs> and then you've got people who supply coffins. And I just thought, why aren't we all interacting together? Because people will stand and pay for an exhibition stand so that they can meet other people in the industry And I thought, let's just put anyone who does anything in relation to end of life into one place. And I thought, what do we call ourselves? So I went with end of lifers. And it's got all sorts of people on there from people who work in nursing care to funeral directors and celebrants to obviously um, a lady who does wicker coffins and myself that offers sort of people end of life facilitation and to help them sort of consider planning. So all sorts of um, people on there, and it's nice to see what they're doing. 
Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I am a member and I've definitely spent time in there and I love it. Um, it's been a few years since I was a volunteer with hospice because I had a I have a young daughter. So I took time off. I definitely plan to return. But the actual specific place I volunteered at for three or four years was a dementia ward. So unlike you, it wasn't my mom, but it was my grandmother when I was a child. She had Alzheimer's and uh, that affected me in many ways, but I figured it would be a good community to give back to. So um, I haven't talked a lot about that because I'm a host of a show where I ask other people questions and that's where I'm most comfortable. But I would like to ask you about your experiences specifically with dementia, because I think a lot of our audience is, is very interested in receiving help about that. So can you talk a little bit about dementia? Yes, of course. Um, it was Lewy body dementia that my mom had. <sighs> wow. Okay. So it was, it's a double whammy really, because of takes body and mind and at the moment uh, Bruce Willis is in the press so people are starting to become more aware of it through through obviously what's being written um, about him. What we found is we knew that there were some changes in my mom's behaviour but we really had no idea what it was because at the time she had a back problem and we, she was waiting for a back operation and she was on quite a lot of medication. So as she was appearing more distant and she didn't want to socialize as much and she wasn't sort of as active physically, we put it all down to her having a back problem. And then once we'd had sort of pain, um, pain treatment for her back problem and then she had the back operation, she still continued to not want to socialize, to be speaking a lot less to be less physically active to the point that I felt that maybe there was, she had Parkinson's. So I asked um, the doctors for a diagnosis and she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So that's how it started, which again, I think is quite common with sort of Lewy body that it's originally, it's diagnosed as something else because it isn't until it develops further that it becomes more obvious what it is. So Initially, she was being treated for Parkinson's, but then again, the more research I did and the people I knew whose uh, family members had Parkinson's did not have the inability to speak, which my mom's speech was getting less and less so quickly that she soon became partially verbal. And this created quite a problem in itself, which is why I have stated that I then realized how unprepared we were. Mm -hmm for my mum's dying and, and death, and certainly, obviously, in this, it was a terminal illness. So as she became, obviously, less able to communicate, we started to look at what happens, what happens now with her, her care, everything that she got. So my mum, my all of the administration, my dad had never used a computer. So it started to create its own problems. But from the basis of dementia, it was a fairly fast decline. And it certainly was not what we expected because I knew it wasn't Parkinson's because of the people with Parkinson's were able to speak properly. But we also didn't feel at the time it was dementia because of her, her losing her physical ability. And then, of course, it was stated that it was actually Lewy body dementia, and therefore it, it was taking both. Um, it's a cool disease. Yeah. It's fairly fast acting compared to standard dementia, where people can live for, for years. Mm -hmm. 
my mum was diagnosed at the end of 2021 and she died a few months ago. So it was very quick. Well, I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss. And I'm also extremely sorry for the you know, the years leading up to the loss, because, uh, you know, I've, I've seen Louis body a lot where I worked and, um, it's terrible. So, um, thank you, first of all, for clarifying and thank you for being so honest, because I really do think, I mean, you and I absolutely share the same goal, which is just trying to get people to who cares if it's taboo or not, like think about these things and, and plan ahead of time, which is, you know, not ironically the name of your wonderful program planning ahead of time. And so on that note, I am curious, um, is there like an age where you suggest people start creating their own will and testament or like what is kind of the the best advice for a planning ahead of time to someone in like, say, their 20s, 30s, 40s or 50s? I absolutely believe you should start as early as possible. Uh, my daughters are in their 20s and I know what their wishes are, I think. And they have not official wills, but there is written work in relation to what they would what they would want with their possessions and their money. Uh, they don't own property at this moment, so that's not relevant. But for me, I feel it should be something that we look at on an annual basis because our lives change so quickly, and we need to keep updating what it is we what it is we want. The thing is, when we are obviously in our sort of early teens, we start looking, we plan for our 16th birthday, our 18th birthday, our 21st. We look at getting engaged, marriage, etc. And all of these things, when we decide that we're going to do it and what we want, we start planning. And we also start looking at what other people are doing. So we see what somebody else did for their party and we think we would like that. Or equally, we wouldn't like that. And through life, we we go through various scenarios and think, I'd really, you know, I would want that, I'd enjoy that, and then we plan for them. And then we make sure when we plan that the people that we want to help us are available to help. We book venues, we make sure that there's caterers, we make sure our family are there, we make sure we've got friends and people helping us out. For me, when you look at our life, we have no idea when we're going to die. It, but the only thing we know is that we actually are going to die. And people believe often if you talk about it, you're sort of going to bring that around. You're sort of tempting fate by talking about it and planning for it. However, when you plan, you are able to consider what you want and let people know and make sure that there's people around who can help you with that. With my mom's condition, even though, as as you know from your sort of the the preamble that you just gave, that the I lost a great friend to suicide, and I was already looking at end of life and how people could be helped with that. When my mom became nonverbal, she was also obviously um, not functioning properly from a mental capacity. And we found out that there was a real problem when she gave bank details um, to somebody on a scam call. <sighs> Suddenly we're thrown into why would she do that? What's happened? And it was when we realized that, that we had a, a real problem. But because my dad had never done any administration, it was then left to me because my mom didn't have capacity. She was alive. She was 
living. She was with us, but she could say yes or no, but she really wasn't able to give us the instructions that we needed. And we just didn't plan quickly enough because we never dreamt that the person who was the head of the house and the most intelligent of us all was the, was the one that was going to lose that capacity while she was living. So we had to then go into planning mode while she was alive, but she couldn't actually tell us what we needed to do. So we hadn't got lasting power of attorney in place for her health, although we had for her finance, but then you have to prove capacity and incapacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to organise bank accounts so that my dad could access things. And we were finding that bills weren't being paid because we didn't know what they were. Um, we found we ended up at one point getting a credit card statement come through with a fine on it. Oh. And so and we we couldn't even find the credit card. We have no idea. Oh. Never seen it. We didn't know where it was. We'd never seen the number on anything. So if my mom and I and the family had planned ahead, we wouldn't have had the problems that we had as she became more and more poorly. And that would have also gone into her end-of-life care. We would have known what she wanted in relation to respite care, care at home, who she would have maybe wanted to do that. It would have also helped us again with her funeral and what did she want. We knew she wanted to be cremated, but we knew nothing else. So I think it's so important for the family and those that are involved because all you actually want to do is do the best by them. And you, you'll know that from the care that you gave to people. You just want them to live their life out in the best way possible, even though that they are losing capacity. You still want them to have choices and be able to make those choices. And the only way to do that is to know those in advance. Absolutely. And um, that was a, an amazing and great answer. Thank you so much. I think you managed to really sum up almost everything in like just two answers, which is actually awesome. And and again, the point of the show is to help people with all sorts of things like this. So I'm going to ask you the other question we always ask guests, which is what do you think happens when you die? And then after that, I have many follow-up questions that tie into that. So the purpose of asking you now is so that I know and our audience knows kind of your, you know, uh, modus operandi for how you treat life and death. So the essential question we want to know is what do you think is going to happen to you specifically when you die? Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Okay, well this is an interesting one because I don't think you've been told that I actually work as a medium. No, awesome. So, yes, I've worked as a medium on and off for over 20 years, um, which means I actually speak to the dead people and I pass messages from the spirit world into the physical world. And the only way I can possibly do that is if something of that person still exists. So the way I look at it is that we are spiritual beings and we are energy and energy does not die, it simply transforms. So this has been exceptionally helpful for me in the recent months with my mom dying, in that there came a point in her end life stages where I really believed she would have been better off in spirit. And for me, the body is the vessel that carries our spirit around. 
And then when the body dies, that's it. The spirit is released and that is the energy and that energy can be with us. It can, therefore, it's free of pain. It's able to be with us. So for me, I see that when I die, I will transform. My body will will die, but my spirit will not. Um, my spirit will be released from the physical form that holds me here and I will then be happy in spirit, able to float as energy and be wherever I'm needed. And that means, you know, with family or friends or whoever is calling upon me at that time, because I do feel that we, when we think about our loved ones who have died, we call their spirit to us. And that's how we can feel them, smell, sometimes smell um, smell them or we get little signs and things and that's because they're close to us awesome i'm compelled and that was an incredible answer um and i i love talking to thoughtful people and to mediums and to people in hospice and all that so you're like the get of all gets um thank you this is incredible um and i'm surprised that i didn't know that about you um but i'm so happy to hear it and so i now have kind of a barrage of overly simplistic questions that i usually ask mediums just so that the audience who listens to different ones speak can kind of like decide what does and doesn't gel with their own philosophies. So uh, the main question I would just want to ask you is specifically referring to yourself. You said after I pass, I'll, I'll be happy. Are all spirits after they pass happy or are some unhappy? I think that we don't, we don't just suddenly change personality when we go into the spirit world, but what we do is we lose our physical form. So any pains, um, that are brought about by our physical body are removed. When I see people, I, I see it like a television screen. So I feel what somebody wants me to feel. And often that can be to do with how they died or whether they were ill or not, because that's a way of communicating to the person I'm, I'm reading for as how the, how their their loved one died. Um, which is often very relevant. And then it's like a TV screen. So I can see people and somebody could have been elderly when, when they passed and, and very ill and they could have been in a hospital bed and sort of reduced to you know um, a sort of a shadow of themselves with their illness. But I can see them walking the family pet, you know, taking treats out of their pocket, walking around a lake, um, this type of thing. So you they can present themselves in a way that they are recognizable to their loved ones. And not everybody, you know, when you go to speak with a medium, you don't necessarily want to be reliving all of the painful memories because the end of someone's life is the shortest element. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things, you know, we live all of these years and people can end up being defined by how they died and and often spirit don't want to be defined by how they died. They want to be defined by how they lived. And they want to come through and present themselves to their loved ones to let people know that they're okay. And one of the biggest things people want to know when they see a medium is, one, are they okay? Have they made it to the other side? And, you know, are they okay there? And did they do right by that person? Um, so when you have a spirit talking about their funeral and like a reading I did today, the person was telling me that they actually told me it was really pretty. And I said to the lady I was reading for, I've never, ever had a, a funeral described as pretty before. I said, but I can literally see pink flowers and pink roses 
and people where and she said yeah that that's exactly what happened so this is how they try and let us know that they're okay I mean that's just fantastic and I love that answer and I think it um it definitely gels with my sense of how things could go and and maybe do go um and I'm kind of obsessed not in a bad way but I also was affected by suicide at a young age um a very close friend of mine his father committed suicide and it just really sent me on a tangent in life that I'm still on which is I I I don't like that we don't talk about it a certain way and then I don't like that we do talk about it a certain way and I'm speaking more specifically to my American culture because we do not always agree um you know United Kingdom and us so I'm not going to put words in your culture's mouth but we definitely treat suicide in a very strange way. So I'm curious, um, in your work as a medium specifically, have you talked to the great friend of yours who committed suicide and, or have you talked to other, uh, spirits of suicide and do they have a message about suicide? Yes, I have spoken to him and passed messages to his girlfriend of the time. Um, and I've also done a few readings where, where people have come through who have died of suicide one that I did recently, um, and I don't and don't wish to be too graphic, so I need to be a little bit careful, obviously, with what I'm saying. It, you know, I was I was describing this young person, and um, I saw that the fact that he was sort of very down, and that he, but that he was very mixed emotions. So it was up now, and then I saw a shotgun, and I asked, I obviously said, "Look, this is what I'm getting," and then I just went, "Oh, oh no, you know." I can see a shotgun, at which point the lady just went, oh, you know, oh, my God, I know who it is. And then when I actually, what he wanted to say was, although he actually, this again, this may sound difficult for people to hear, he was happy with his decision to take his life. However, what he hadn't realised was the outpouring of love that there was for him. So he wasn't stating that he regretted it, he wished he hadn't done it, uh, this sort of thing. But he was saying that he wished he'd have realised just how much people liked him and who he could have turned to. Because, again, obviously after the event, the outpouring of love, the people at his funeral, he he really felt that he didn't know that in his state of mind and, and while he was here, he didn't realise how much support he'd got and how many people thought so much of him until he was on the other side. And I thought that was a real shame. And I think it's often the case that people, certainly men who are obviously um, are more likely to mm-hmm. take their own lives than, than women statistically, that they don't feel that they can go to people or they don't realize just how many people they have out there who would support them and would be happy for them to go to them and this is why in the UK we actually have something called Andy's Man Club and it's a growing concern in the UK specifically for men and it's an extremely supportive organization uh, for anybody who's who's obviously having any mental health difficulties or considering suicide yeah, no, that's uh, what a great answer. Thank you again. Um, yeah, and I know in America, like, we talk a lot about gun violence. And one of the weirdest statistics that they don't really talk about is how often it's used for suicide specifically by men. So I think um, while this subject is a super bummer, and no one wants to talk about it, the whole point of the show is to talk about things that may be taboo for different reasons. But ultimately, I think what you just told us should help most people. 
And uh, I'll obviously put a hotline number and everything on the notes for the episode like I always do. Um, so let's move past all these subjects because we're uh, more interested in, in what you think and what you can help give our audience. So um, at the end of your bio that I read, uh, you say that this work brings peace of mind to the client and it's a gift of pre and post death support to their loved ones. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, of course. Again, it's, for example, you know, one of my daughters was at university. So I wasn't seeing her all the time. She was maybe not for sort of a couple of months at a time. And I think this is why I was saying it's so important for even younger people to be putting information in writing that if anything happens to them is released to their loved ones or their parents so that words are not left unsaid. And with the work that I do, regardless of somebody's age, I actually work with them to look at what do you like and what don't you like. Again, just like if you are trying to arrange uh, any type of sort of event for yourself, it was, well, yes, I like flowers or I don't like this or I like to have my hair stroked, but I don't like my feet touched or um, I would want to go into a care home at this stage of my life or, or I want to be at home until the end. And also looking at do they have things in place so that people can help them through that. If somebody was in an accident and suddenly um, lost the ability to speak, whether that's incapacity or sort of uh, comatose, then who would speak for them? And it is one of the most crucial things that you can decide because it really is such an important role. Who makes the decisions about someone's care? Who, who looks after your finances? Who gets access to everything that you've got and helps you with that and put it into some order? And what happens is when people start looking at it and they start sort of considering their life, because it is about looking at their life rather than their death, it's and then saying, well, actually, who are the people closest to me? Who are the people that would help me the most? Who would I want to speak for me and to be there if there was a problem? You then start to look at, well, okay, if these scenarios come forward, how are you looking after that financially? How are you going to look after that emotionally? And I think when we start looking at finances, I've been working with a client whose dad's in a care home with dementia. Her mom's 84. And although she's got capacity, she doesn't have ability to do a lot of the paperwork. So we've been looking at lasting power of attorneys and you know, trying to make sure that they've got respect documents in place and and that they've got the paperwork that's needed for their executors to take over as and when required. And I think these things are, are really, they're really important to make sure that people can live out their lives with peace of mind, but they also do need reviewing and, and sort of making sure that they're still on track and they are still what you want. That's so great. And also, I think it's, uh, to me, it's funny. I'm like, actually think this is funny that in America, people are obsessed with getting life insurance, but not doing what you do. And it's interesting because I don't think you get as much peace of mind from a simple life insurance policy as you would from everything you just spoke about. So thank you again for doing the work you do. And thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, we'll have full notes on how to reach Dale. So if you want to uh, inquire about her mediumship abilities or anything else she talked about, she is reachable and you can get in contact with her. But before we let you go, Dale, we always have 
our guests kind of uh, have the floor so they can say something hopefully positive to our audience. So what would you like to leave our audience with? Okay. Well, what I would like to say is that the whole reason we live, you know, we are able to live the way that we do because our time is not infinite. So the fact that we know at some point that we are going to die gives us the inspiration to live and get on with what we're doing and live the life that we want to want to live. And my comment would be, we don't need to wait for a terminal diagnosis to plan for our future or to say, do you know what, I need to get on and do these things now while I've got the time. This is our now. This is while we've got the time. And by taking some sort of looking forward and looking ahead to what our end of life will look like, it really does make us focus on the here and now and say, this is what I want to do with my life because we are here at the end of the day for only a short period of time. And we have to make the most of that. I love it. What a great message. And it's so positive. And you're such a good, positive person. So thank you for taking situations that are tragic and hard, like dealing with your own mom having dementia, dealing with the suicide of a great friend. And instead of getting down and just getting buried with all that grief, you've uh, helped so many other people and you will continue to help people. So thank you, Dale. Thank you so much for coming on our show. And to everyone listening at home, uh, the best way to support our show, Coffin Talk, is to head over to MikeyOp.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and sign up for the free weekly email in which I will send you philosophy, humor, and wisdom, and also the podcast. Um, and to everyone at home, thank you again for listening. My name is Mike Oppenheim. This has been another episode of Coffin Talk, and we will see you soon.